we're going to begin a new, a new sermon series, and it's actually kind of a continuation of an old one. We've done this kind of in, in little bits and pieces. But what I want to do this morning is, is kind of introduce it. We're going to look at Abraham. I want to introduce it this morning, and I'm going to give you, really, what I want you to get out of this is, is, is some big pictures, okay? Kind of some big picture things. I'm going to give you a lot of details, and if you get trying to memorize those details or catch all those details, you're going to get lost, okay? But the details are only there to kind of help you see the bigger picture. So just kind of focus on that that bigger picture stuff this morning, and and then we'll at the end kind of bring it around to to why this table matters and to why this table is so important and how it ties into to Abraham who lived so many years ago, you know. So. As I was studying this past week, as I was reading different books, I ran across a book by a, a Bible teacher by the name of Sandra Richter, and, and she actually introduced her stuff on the Old Testament by talking about something that you may have experienced at your house, um, maybe not, but the messy closet syndrome. Now, I want to say this picture is not from our home, okay? This is not Tammy's closet. It's not my closet. It's off the internet. I don't know whose closet it is, but the fact is you might have a closet that looks like this, or maybe a junk drawer, uh, right? It's, it's, it's one of those places where there's, there's lots and lots of stuff, and, and actually a lot of really good stuff, and, and some really valuable stuff. There's a lot of valuable stuff, but it's scattered around. It's scattered around. It's disorganized. It's, it's underneath. It's behind, and the problem with this, and, and I, I do this all the time. Whenever I, you know, on annually clean out a closet, or biannually, or every 10 years or something, I, I would imagine most of us have this. When you clean out the junk drawer, you keep finding stuff, and you go, oh, I forgot I had this. Oh, I wish I would have remembered this three weeks ago. Oh, I wish I would have, I could have used this. And, 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 and so really what happens when we, when we have the messy closet syndrome is it becomes not very usable, okay? All, all the stuff in it, there's, there's stuff that's there and it's good stuff, but unless we can find it, unless we know how it's organized, it just doesn't do us much good. What, what Richter talks about then is that for a lot of Christians... For a lot of people who belong to Jesus Christ, she suggests that we maybe have what we might call the messy Old Testament syndrome. That, that for a lot of us, the Old Testament is this book that, well, it's there, and we know names, and we've maybe heard stories, and, and we've read them at the table, perhaps, but they're just kind of a jumble, right? They're, there's there, and it's, it's, well, it's like the messy closet. There's lots of stuff, but it's scattered around, and it's not very usable, right? It's just, it's, it's not very helpful, and, and, and so, again, if we go back to the messy closet syndrome and, and think about that, what we really want to do is, is have one of those times, maybe where we spend an hour or two or a week or whatever, to try to organize things, right? Uh, you know, so that we know where things are. And, and when that happens, then we have lots of stuff, but it's ordered, and it becomes very usable, right? It becomes much more usable if you know this. And, and like I say, I have it all the time where I'm, like, for me, it's my garage, you know, and I clean out stuff in my garage, and I'm like, I forgot I had this tool. I forgot I had this thing. And, I, and it's like I, I, I put it someplace, and I forget where I put it. And then a year from now, I'll look at it again and go, oh, I forgot I had this thing. But, you know, so what you can do here is, like, when your closet looks like this, you know, you can say, well, I'm going to wear these shoes, okay, with, with this dress, and then I'm going to use this scarf over here with this purse. And I don't know if this really matches. But, you know, I mean, and then I'm going to put this sweater on after that so that in case we take a walk afterward, right? You can't do that with the other closet, right? You can't see what goes together. So, too, with, with the Old Testament for many of us, all right? You know, again, there are connections there. There are things that are there, and, and we just don't get it. And, and it's kind of, we feel like we ought to better. 
And, 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 and so we take all of this, and what I want to do, and we've started this already a little bit, but what I want to do is, is to kind of create some, some bins, some organization to try to give you stuff. And, and again, I'm going to show you some stuff here, but don't get upset about saying, I can't remember all that, okay? But, but okay, let's say, you know, we pick up, oh, up here we find Adam, right? All right? Okay, we move Adam over to there, because he's Genesis 1 and 2, right? He's at the beginning. And so we'll put, we'll put Adam up there, and, and then we also want to put Eve over there, because that's where she belongs, all right? And then, and then the Garden of Eden goes there as well, and so we pull that from another place. And, and then we look down here, and we see death, all right? The bottom, right? Okay, so we have death, and it's, where, well, well, that comes in Genesis 3, all right? So let's put that in the second bin, all right? And, and of course, it came because of sin, so we'll put that there. And, and then over here, we, we find Noah, all right? And, and, and it's okay, Noah just kind of fits in there, but, but he actually goes, and we'll put him in our third bin, and I'll, I'll explain more about what these bins look like and so on. But, but Noah goes there, and, and the flood goes there, right? We move that over there, and, and, and actually, I want to suggest you put Cain in that, in that bin, and you can put the Tower of Babel in that bin. And again, don't worry about saying, okay, I can't remember all this, Ron, my bins are already messy, I can't think, of, don't worry about it, okay? We're just getting a big picture here, all right? And, and, and then the one we're going to start with today, all right? We're going to start with Abraham and move him over there. And, and, and then Isaac goes there, and, and Esau, or Jacob rather, there, and then Esau. See, I put him in the wrong bin. Esau gets moved over to there, and, and Joseph is at the end of this. And, and, and we have Pharaoh, and, and we have the brothers. They get moved down to there. And, 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 and so if we could start to do that some, okay? Again, I'm not saying you've got to know all the details, but, but part of what's going to happen is you're going to start to say, oh, this is interesting because this language fits with this language, and this language fits with this language. And, of course, through it all is God, all right? In each and every spot, God is at work. In each and every place, God is at work. And, and, and so if we kind of do this and, and, and look at it this way, you know, we want to try to unpack it, Okay. Again, we're going we're gonna to get and, and do Abraham, but I, I just want to give you a little bit again of the backstory here. Genesis 1 and 2, we call this creation, okay? Call this creation, and, and just some of the basics that are here that God created, okay? You know, you can say, oh, I know there were the days, and I know that, you know, chapter 2 is a little different. Just God created, that's the main thing. No other gods, okay? God is all-powerful. He can handle it. He can take care of things. And so God created Adam and Eve, made in God's image. That's a biggie out of that bin, okay? And that you were created in God's image. And every person you meet is created in God's image and is worthy of that kind of respect, all right? So created in God's image, and everything is the way it's supposed to be. All the relationships are exactly right. Adam and Eve and God, their relationship is perfect. Adam and Eve and creation, the world did what it was supposed to do. And Adam and Eve and each other, they got along perfectly uh you know i mean and all of that so we call that box creation and and then we go to the next one and it's genesis 3 and and we call this one the fall all right again don't worry too much about all the details but just kind of be thinking okay can i can i can i just hold on to some of these bins so that i know the story so that i can start to make more connections um all right so the fall the serpent comes to the garden the first time that we meet satan the first time that we meet the enemy of God and the enemy of us. Adam and Eve choose against God. They fall into sin. That's why we call it the fall. And everything is broken, all right? All of those relationships. Adam and Eve are against God now. Adam and Eve are against the creation now. Adam and Eve are against each other now. And, and so all of this comes back from there. And, and unless we understand this, again, unless we have these two first boxes right, we're not going to get anything else right. Creation 
and then the fall. And, and then we have a section, and we've looked at this section as well in a, in a series. We did about six sermons on this section, I think. But, but what we might call here early history, all right, early history. This is where God is. Okay, so, so God is, you know, he creates everything. The world rebels. And God doesn't say, I'm done with it. God says, I'm going to save it. And, and he starts to work. And in this part of the story, he's working kind of with the whole world, all right? He's kind of doing cosmic things, all right? And, and what we see is sin playing itself out. So Cain kills Abel, and, 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 and Lamech claims vengeance. There's this guy named Lamech who says, you know, Cain was avenged 77 times. I'm going to be avenged 70 times, 77 times. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big and I'm bad. And it's just things get worse. And so God releases a flood to wash things away. God saves Noah. Noah fails. And then we have the Tower of Babel, all right? So all of that kind of goes into that box. Now, I want to give you another picture here. Okay, again, just get pictures. Just don't worry about the details. But if I were to do this kind of in a timeline, okay, Genesis 1 and 2, creation, perfect, everything the way it's supposed to be. And then comes the fall, and we drop down, all right, in Genesis chapter 3. So that's our second box, all right? And so if you know that, again, God created it good. You know, it, we, we don't say that it's, we're just born bad uh, on our own. No, we were created to be good. We were created to live in love, and, and we have to keep that first. But then comes the fall. The rest of the story of the Bible is just God's working to bring us back to that, okay? Now, one of the questions I always have when I look at this and I think about this is, why didn't God do that immediately? I mean, why does it go? We're still, in, we're still not done with this. God is still recreating. God is still making all things new. Why didn't God do that immediately? I think, I think part of it is he needs us to know. It's not so much that God tries and fails. It isn't that God tries and fails. He's God. But, but what happens in these stories is that, is that we learn who we are. And I think if, if, if God had done this, and, and you and I had been born in a perfect world, we would have said, I wouldn't have done what Adam did. I wouldn't have blown it. I would have gotten it right. I wouldn't have done what Eve did. I would have gotten it right. God wants us to know, no, friends, there was no option but for me to step in and save you. And so some of this is, is just there, I think, in, in a sense, to, to, to let us know and, and to teach us who we are, all right? So again, we go down. I just mentioned these things. Cain kills Abel, and then we have Genesis 4 again, Lamech, and, and then Genesis 6 says this, that the world is only evil and full of violence, all right? So again, just think of that. This is all in that third bin now, okay? And so here's, here's what I see happening. God's working with the whole world, and, and it's going down, and it's getting worse. We get to Genesis 6. And it, and it says it's only evil all the time. Everything is a mess. And, and, and you've heard people say, I, I think this is what the flood is all about, okay? You've heard people say, you know what, if we could only have a clean environment, if we could only get rid of bad people, you know, people only do bad things because they've been trained to do bad things. So if we could change the environment, if we could change the education, people are born good. No, they're not. <laughs> And what the flood is about is saying, oh, God, I think what God is saying in a sense is to those of you who say that, let me show you something. And what God does in the flood is he wipes out all the bad people. He gets rid of all the bad environment. And he, and he saves Noah, all right? Noah gets a fresh start. Noah is a good guy. Noah gets a fresh start. The only good animals are there. Everything is as good as it can be, all right? And you know what happens? Noah blows it. <laughs> gets off the ark, and, and very shortly after that, Noah fails, no, because you know what? Guess what? It's not a problem of our environment. It's not just a problem of our education system. It's not just a problem of our parents. It's a problem of our hearts. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if we just get a whole new environment. We still have broken, sinful hearts. And, 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 and so this, 
I think that's why the, the flood is so important that when, when we kind of find ourselves thinking, you know, look, if, if, if we could just raise our kids in the right way, and, and, and you do your best to raise your kids, and that's, we all do, and, and we try. But you know what? You can never buy them a gun, but they will do this by the time they're two. And you can teach them. You, you, how many of you, now don't raise your hands, but just ask yourself, how many of you taught your kids to throw stones at other kids? None of us. How many of our kids did it? All of us. Right? I mean, kid, you don't teach your kids to sin. They're born that way. And, and, and so, the, the, again, do you see under, I said how the, the problem, we've we got to understand that we don't have any hope for the problem, and it keeps getting worse, and, and we, get to, we get to there to the Tower of Babel. So, again, all of this here is, is in that early history, that, that bin there, okay? And, and so that's how far we've gotten. We've we done this in three different series. You didn't even know that we did it. But, but we've done those three bins, so to speak. And, and I thought, you know what? We need to do the next one because the next one is huge. Um, and in some ways, I do this for me because I want to I know Abraham better. I want to know this better. So the question is, what's next? How is, gonna, God, how is God going to work next? And, and again, think about this. Here's, here's, so God creates, big picture, God creates Adam and Eve's sin. And, and God deals kind of in the... Genesis 4 through 11, in that bin, early history, he's dealing with the whole world, right? He's dealing with everybody, and it's not working. And, and God knows it's not going to work, but he's doing this so that we know it's not going to work. And so now God is going to say, okay, here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to start with Abraham. I'm going to start with one guy, and I'm going I'm to live in a relationship with him. And, and, and the way he lives and trusts me, we're going to create a people we're going to create a family. And, and everybody else in the world is going to say, hey, what's going on there? What's that like? And, and, and they're going to look at Abraham, and they're going to say, that's who God is. He, he's this way. And, and, and so God starts this work with Abraham, all right? And, and what we're going to cover the rest of the summer, um, hopefully be done not too long after the end of the summer, but Genesis 12 to 25, big chunk here, okay? So we move uh, Abraham over to there, and, and, and Abraham is just an extremely important figure. Let me just, for what it's worth, don't worry about this, but if we want to finish this, the, the bins, it's Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, which, if you want to know about Joseph, just watch the musical. It's awesome, but that's another. Anyway, if you say, that's seven bins, and you're only on Genesis, Ron. I can't remember all that. No, you can't. That's worry. Don't worry about it, but Genesis is one of the huge books, okay? There are some books that are important, and they're God's word, and they're important, valuable, and all that stuff, but I'm going to say, don't worry about them. And don't worry about necessarily all this stuff in Genesis, okay? What I would suggest is we got to get straight creation, fall, and then I'm going to suggest the last one we got is Abraham, okay? Abraham is so significant, and that's what we're going to spend this summer on, on Abraham. He is mentioned, just look at this, how, that's how important he is. He's mentioned 312 times in the Bible, okay? Abraham is mentioned 312 times in the Bible. He's mentioned 75 times in the New Testament, from the Old Testament, only Moses. Only Moses is mentioned more than Abraham. Again, if you want to know Old Te- Moses and Abraham, David would be your three from the Old Testament. All right? So Abraham is one of those big three. Abraham is one we've got to know, okay, because he is somebody who, who, who just shapes faith and who shapes life. All right? So 
Again, Abraham, and again, don't worry about all these, but just real quick, Genesis, he's from Ur. We're going to talk about that next week. He's called by God. He trusts God, and he goes to the promised land, all right? He's called from this one place. God says, just leave this behind and come and follow me. And Abraham, and this is going to be important for us today, Abraham just leaves, not knowing where he's going. He just says, God, I trust you. And he pours out his life, and he follows where God is leading him to go. His wife, Sarai, is barren. She becomes Sarah. Nephew Lot story, so Sodom and Gomorrah stuff there. Um, Hagar and Ishmael. Those are going to be interesting. But again, for me, I'll be honest. I know Galatians talks Hagar and Ishmael. I want to learn better about those two. Um, Isaac is born, and then that really amazing, strange, difficult story where God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Again, we'll be doing this all summer, so you don't have to, you don't have to write this down and say, I can't, that bin is full. And, and, and there are a lot of things that if we can just kind of have them in the, the right arena, we can make those connections, all right? We can recognize, hey, this sounds a lot like that, and, and we can make some of those connections, all right? So Abraham is there. All right, now we're going to get to the sermon, and it's a short one. That was education in intro, all right? But now is where, you know, to, to, to get us to the table, to recognize God's word. One of the things that I think is so interesting in looking at, at Abraham is the New Testament gives him two names, two names. And, and this is what I want us to think about, what it means to be in a relationship with God, all right? The first name that, that the New Testament gives to, to Abraham that we're going to look at this morning is he is the father of faith. He is the father of faith. It's Father's Day. And, and, and we are children of God. But the New Testament says if we're children of God through Jesus Christ, we are also children of Abraham. We are children of Abraham. And so we need to know Grandpa, 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 Great, 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 Grandpa Abraham. All right, we need to know Abraham. He's the father of faith. And then the other one that has just kind of knocked me off my socks all week. He's called God's friend. He's called... God's friend. And I wonder how many of us feel like we're friends with God. All right, so let's start with that first one. All right, he is the father of faith. This comes out of, out of um, the Romans 4, a number of places, but Romans 4, verse 16, where Paul is writing, and he's talking about how we're saved by Jesus Christ. And he says the promise that our sins will be forgiven. So the promise is received by faith. It's not by our obedience because we cannot be obedient enough. The promise is not received by what we do. The promise is simply received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. That's an amazing thing because so many of us, even in the New Testament, even as New Testament Christians, so many of us were raised in churches and and with pastors who were preaching at us to say, you can be saved if you do the right thing. And we don't say it that bluntly, but that was kind of the message, that if, if you want to be saved, you've got to be a good Christian. To be a good Christian, you've got to be obedient, and then you can be... No, it's a free gift. And whether we obey or not, it is a gift that we can receive if we have faith like Abraham's. Now, if we have that faith, it'll impact our lives. But we're not saved by it impacting our lives. We receive it if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. Abraham is the father of all who believe. Again, this is in the New Testament, and Abraham is said to be the father of all who believe. And so I want to just, just think about this for a couple of minutes. Because what, what the Bible makes clear from the very beginning, I mean, from before the fall, God wants a relationship with us. God wants a relationship with you. 
God wants a relationship with each and every one of you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to love you. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. God wants a relationship with each and every one of us. And, and in looking at the life of Abraham, what we will see is we will see what that relationship with God looks like. As we study Abraham, we'll see what that relationship with God looks like. And what we'll see in a couple of weeks that I think is so important, one of the things that is so good about this is, is, is that Abraham's faith is not a perfect faith. He fails. He struggles. He doubts God's promises sometimes. And yet he's called the father of faith. He's not, yeah, again, the, the, the models we get. I, sometimes I think about this. Somebody said once, there, we talk about dysfunctional families. There are no functional families in the Bible. Okay? If you want to talk about a functional faith person, you want to talk about somebody, there are people of great faith, but there are no functional faith people because we're all dysfunctional. We're all still sin. We're all still broken. And if you think, oh my goodness, I can't be loved by God because I struggle with this. I doubt this. You need to know you're in the long line. You are a child of Abraham if you struggle sometime with your faith. You are a child of Abraham if you, if you know what it is to fail and, 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 and to disobey God and to turn your back and, and to blow it at times. But the fact is the bottom line is that Abraham puts his life in God's hands and he trusts God's heart. As I said, God's going to come to Abraham. We'll look at it next week more clearly. But he's going to say, Abraham, you've got to leave this place. You've got to leave this place. And Abraham is going to go, not knowing where he's going, but he's going to go and he's going to trust God and he's going to follow him and he's going to worship him, and he's going to be in relation. And so, and, and so that's, that's what we're looking at. That's, that's what we're called to. And, and, and so the question I have for each one of us is, what about us? What about us? How, how God calls us to have the same kind of faith as Abraham. He calls us to, to set aside all those things that give us security, all those things that often give us our identity, and he calls us to just let them go so that he can fill us with new life. Ray Steadman, in, in writing about this chapter, gives, I think, a really, I, I think it's a great example, a great challenge. He says, imagine this, and I want you to go ahead and do this. Imagine this, that, that you're in the desert, okay? Hotter than it was yesterday or today. You're in the desert. It's dry. You have no water. You are so thirsty. And, and you're just, I mean, you're dying for, for water. You're dying for a drink of water. And, and so you come upon a, a pump, all right, there's a pump there in the middle of the desert. And hanging from the pump is a canteen. All right, this is what faith is like. Hanging from that pump is a canteen. And there's a sign. And the sign says this. Underneath your feet is enough cold and sweet water to satisfy you for the rest of your journey. But in order to get the water out, you've got to prime the pump. And there is exactly enough water in the canteen to prime the pump. And the question is, will you really take the water that is there and trust the sign, trust the promise, and pour it in to prime the pump? Because if the promise isn't true, you lost. Now you got nothing. And, 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 and it's, that's, where, that's where Abraham was, right? I mean, it's, it's there. Imagine that. You're there. Are you really going to be willing and able to say, I, I will trust this, and I'm going to pour out everything in this canteen? I know the water's probably warm. It's not great, but it's at least something. Am I going to be willing to pour it out in order to experience God's presence? Right? I mean, that's what, that's what the, the Abraham has here. Is, Abraham, you've got to leave this behind. All these things that give you security, you've got to leave them behind. And, and I promise you this, not always going to be easy, but in the end, you will have all that you need. And one day, you will have all that you can imagine. That's faith. <laughs> 
that, that's, that's the faith that we're called to every day saying, God, you know what? I trust you. God, I'm not going to trust myself. God, I'm not going to trust my own bank account. I'm not going to trust my own stuff. God, I am going to give that to you. And I'm going to put myself in your hands. And I'm going to trust that there will be living water. I'm going to trust that. And, 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 and so that's part of what Abraham does for me. And I hope he does. Will we dare to have that kind of faith? Will I dare to live that way? Again, God is saying to us, you can hold on to your stuff, but when we hold on to our stuff, that's all we get. When we have a canteen, that's all we get is lukewarm water that gives us satisfaction for a short term. God says, trust me. I want to give you long-term life. I want to give you long-term life. He is the father of all who believe because he went, and it wasn't perfect, but, but that's where he went. So that's the first one, the father of all who believe. And then that second one, that he's God's friend. And and it's God who calls him my friend, okay? Look at this, from James 2, verse 23, and then we'll look at Isaiah 41. But James says this, And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. And that quote goes back to, to Isaiah 41, verse 8, where it says this, But you, Israel, my servant, God is speaking. Imagine this. God is speaking. You, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. I just find that amazing. You know, I, I, I think about being God's friend. I think about what God is doing with that. And I think most of us are pretty good at thinking about being servants. You know what, I want to be God's servant today, right? That image of saying, I want to pour out my life for you, God. Abraham was God's servant, but he was not just God's servant. And, and I want to be a worshiper. God, I want to worship you. And I'm, I'm, I know I need to do that because you're great. And I'm, and I'm not. And so Abraham was a wor- worshiper, but he was not just God's worshiper. And I want to be a follower. I want to walk where you want me to go. And Abraham was a follower, but he was not just God's follower. And, and, and I want to be a child. I mean, John and my son talked about this last week, that, that we are God's beloved children, and that is so important, one of my favorite biblical images. But we're not just God's child. I, I mean, you think about it. I mean, I don't think, we, I, don't think I think about it. Maybe you do more. But, but he was God's friend. He was God's friend. And, and you think about that friend relationship. Think about a friend you have, all right? Think about it. What, what's involved in that? It's, it's trust. But it's more than trust. It's enjoyment, Right? And I think about that. Do you know that God enjoys your company? Just being with you and, and, and hanging out with you, that God wants that kind of friendship? Again, I'm comfortable saying, God, I'm your servant because you're great. I'm your worshiper because you're great. And I'm your follower because you're great. And, 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 and I'll be your child. But you're still great and up there. And God says, but I also want to be your friend. I want to hang out with you, Ron. I want to hear what's on your heart. I want to know what's going on. I want you to be close to me. And I think, I think this is probably one of those biblical images that we just don't think about very much. So what about us here? What about us here? Can, can, can you allow yourself to think of God as a friend? Yeah, he's still great and he's mighty and he's all powerful and he's all that. But can you allow yourself to say, God, I want to be your friend. And I want, I want to... I want to just be there and hear about you and know what's going on. Abraham is the only one who called God the Father's friend, but in the New Testament, if you say, well, is Abraham alone in this? John 15, verse 15 says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, this is Jesus speaking. And you know where he's speaking this, by the way? 
the Last Supper, when he when he did this meal with his disciples. It was the Passover meal. And when Jesus was going to say very shortly after this, this is my body, which is for you, all right? This is when he says this. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And in some ways, I think it's easier to maybe think about Jesus as a friend, but God the Father and the Holy Spirit, all three of them, the Trinity, as a friend. To me, that's, that's a challenge, I, I, it's much easier to kind of keep God at a distance and, 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 and worship him in those things. But to try to say, God, I want to be, I want to be your friend. I want to I have that closeness, and I want to just hang out, and I want to just be with you. And I hope you want to be with me. I, like I say, that, just, that, that image of being God's friends is just amazing. So we come to this table, and, and, and Abraham teaches us you know, that we come to this table in faith. All right. We come to this table in faith to share a meal with a friend. The friend who gave his life for us. For the friend who gives us new life. And so as we come here, we, we say, God, I, I need you to feed me because I can't take care of myself. And, and God, I need you to fill me and wash me. So I put my faith in you. We also recognize that Jesus says, I've called you friends. I've called you friends. So eat at my table and live a new life with me. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, Abraham, so long ago, so far away, 4,000 years, maybe whatever it is, but yet he's our father because he had you as his father. And so, Father, teach us to have faith. Teach us to, to, to not settle for so little. This world wants to tell us it's got a great life for us. You want to give us real life. So, Father, I pray right now as we get ready to take this meal, as we take this, this cup, as we take this bread, I pray that you will be just there to feed us and, 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 and to strengthen us and to remind us of your forgiveness Lord, we put our trust in you, not in ourselves, but we also know you're our friend. And so be here with us and, and share this meal with us because you are close to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.